Now, the top of the hour on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn presents the Green News Report. Definitely not a Republican wave, that's for darn sure. Missing red wave in 2022 midterms is good news for the climate. Skyrocketing levels of climate warming methane, plus... Don't be fooled. Prop 30 is being advertised as a climate initiative. Mixed results for environmental ballot propositions. All of those results and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Newsom's ultimate victory is likely to be a landslide, which, since this is California, will be followed by an earthquake and a wildfire. True story. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm happy to hear that the midterm elections were not a disaster for the climate. Mm -hmm. But speaking of disasters, Florida is once again in trouble. Yes, a rare November hurricane. Hurricane Nicole made landfall on Florida's east coast overnight Wednesday as a Category 1. Fueled by record warm ocean waters, the sprawling, slow-moving storm has brought significant rain and flooding to storm-weary parts of Florida, still damaged by deadly Hurricane Ian a month ago. President Biden has approved emergency disaster relief for the state. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration warns in a new report this week that levels of powerful climate warming methane continue to rocket up at record rates, with concentrations now more than 160 percent of pre-industrial levels. A new report by the International Energy Agency reveals that globally, methane pollution from the fossil fuel industry is 70 percent higher than countries are officially reporting. The Global Methane Tracker also found that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is seriously underestimating the oil and gas industry's methane pollution by as much as 70 percent. What's worse, carbon or methane? They're both really bad, but methane is a more powerful climate warming pollutant than carbon dioxide over a shorter time period, like 20 years. Whereas carbon stays in the atmosphere for For like hundreds of years. Got it. Now on to the critical 2022 midterm elections. As we go to air, we still don't know who will control the U.S. House or Senate next year, with several close races not yet decided. But the corporate media's conventional wisdom of a Republican red wave did not materialize. Shocking. Some notable climate-related results. Republican climate science denier Senator Ron Johnson won re-election in Wisconsin. Pennsylvania's Democratic Lieutenant Governor and climate hawk John Fetterman soundly defeated Trump-endorsed TV doctor Mehmet Oz. In the U.S. House, despite heavy gerrymandering in Republican-controlled states, voters in Ohio flipped a seat held by longtime Republican climate science denier Representative Steve Shabbat, giving it to Democrat Greg Landsman. North Carolina rejected a science-denying Republican to elect Democratic climate hawk Wiley Nickel. North Carolina did that? Yep, and in Illinois, Democrat Eric Sorensen will be the first meteorologist in Congress in 50 years. Really? 
Climate Hawks also won top state offices in major wins for climate and clean energy. Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey, who is suing big oil to pay for climate damages, was elected Massachusetts' first female governor. So I presume that whoever the new AG is will continue that lawsuit? Presumably, yes. Maryland elected climate hawk Wes Moore as its first black governor, defeating Republican climate denier Dan Cox, who was labeled one of the worst environmental candidates in the nation Mm. by the League of Conservation Voters. And he lost. He lost big time. In remarks on Wednesday, President Biden thanked young voters for tipping the scales with record turnout across the country in state and federal races. And he warned Republicans, I'm not going to walk away from the historic commitments we just made to take on the climate crisis. They're not compromisable issues to me. And I won't let it happen. Nice. Climate advocacy groups heralded the enormous organizing effort to mobilize young voters. Nonprofit climate group Evergreen Action said that actually delivering on bold, concrete climate investments like the Inflation Reduction Act are an electoral winner. Quote, just months after passing historic climate legislation, Democrats across the country have defied historic trends and achieved one of the best midterms for a sitting president's party in recent memory. And finally, results from statewide climate and environment ballot initiatives were mixed. Voters in California appear to have rejected a proposition that would have raised taxes on millionaires to fund the transition to electric vehicles after Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom labeled it a Trojan horse giveaway to a rideshare company. Florida voters rejected a tax break for property owners that harden their properties against flooding and rising sea levels. However, New Yorkers approved a $4 billion state bond measure to upgrade the state's infrastructure against climate impacts and rising seas. Nice. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Please help progressive voices support the Green News Report. By stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Folks were just not willing to play the games anymore. From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief Radio. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Rauschenbusch broadcasting this week from New York City. They believe that women voting is the problem in America. As we record today, votes are still being counted across the country. What we have seen is that in some significant races, Christian nationalism was rejected by voters as Americans continue to show preference for a more inclusive and welcoming vision for America. We also saw the overreach of the Supreme Court as voters in both red and blue states showed their support for the right of individuals to make choices about their own reproductive health. And... We celebrate that two open lesbian women won their governor's races in Massachusetts and Oregon. However, complacency is not an option. Innovative and dangerous new strategies to subvert our democracy are no doubt already in the works. So what we need now is a long-term commitment to pluralism, to inclusive American values, and durable alliances that make it possible for us to stay connected and to support each other. On this week's show, you'll hear from two leaders with amazing track records in this kind of work. 
They wanted Syrian people elected, right? Not the extremists who are denying, you know, the results of election and so forth. That's what people want. They don't want games anymore. They want actual solutions. Reverend Josh Dubois headed up President Obama's Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships from 2009 to 2013 and was known during that time as Pastor-in-Chief. He is the CEO of Values Partnerships and Gage, the author of The President's Devotional and a media commentator. Josh Dubois is one of our country's top voices on issues impacting the African-American community, as well as religion in the public square. He is sure to have unique perspectives on what happened in this week's midterms and what didn't happen and why. When you really listen to far-right pundits and commentators, some of them are 100% transparent that if women stopped voting, they could get everything done that they want to get done. Impact Seat Foundation CEO Cheryl Conti knows firsthand how essential diverse and empowered leadership and workforces are. She is chair of Netroots Nation, the founder of the tech company Do Big Things, and the co-founder of Attentively, the first tech startup with a black female founder to be acquired by a NASDAQ company. Ms. Conte brings deep expertise on effective values-based organizations and alliances with a focus on unclogging the channels of opportunity for women. She also happens to be an overall awesome person who I turn to when I am looking for insights on what's really going on. You can hear State of Belief on the radio and get the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast platforms. Every week, I will be in conversation with the most fascinating and impactful civic and religious leaders across the nation. You won't want to miss it. State of Belief Radio is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you have made a donation, I really want to thank you. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can help keep this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join in that work at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my first guest. Not that many years ago, Josh Dubois was named to the 33 under 33 most influential faith leaders in America list by Christianity Today. Reverend Dubois led faith outreach in the Obama White House and today is head of Values Partnership and an in-demand commentator author, and public speaker. Reverend Dubois, welcome to State of Belief Radio. Oh, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you in particular. So I would love to, let's let's go back to Tuesday night. I don't know how late you stayed up. I was up at 2.30, just keep on, you know, doom scrolling. Actually, it wasn't quite doom scrolling. How were you feeling uh, that that afternoon and that evening? It's so interesting, Paul. The, the, um... My wife is the doom scroller in our household. I, I I have this sort of, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen mentality about elections after it's all. And this dates back to Obama days. You know, I, I would knock all the doors, make all the phone calls. And then when it was time to wrap it up, I went home and, you know, 
had a bite to eat. I might have poured a little scotch and and just kind of let it roll. And oh my God, so, you have to give a seminar. You have got to give a seminar because we we all need to learn from you. It is true. Like you know, I kind of feel like I'm doing something by yeah. scrolling, but you're not. And and but it is like the truth is is that everything that has happened by that time, especially once the polls close, um, is, has been done. And there's something really sweet about waking up at five thirty or six a.m with many, if not all, not, usually not all, but many of the questions resolved and processing it at that point, right? Rather, yeah. than, rather than sort of piecemeal throughout the night. And so anyway, but different people have different approaches. That was mine. And so my realization was a bit more the next morning when I saw that, you know, this red wave had not materialized, that um, we were, um, that um, the the predictions of, of many um, sort of did, did not ring true. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, I have good relationships with some people that I believe are phenomenal leaders um, who, who were not successful in the election. Folks like Stacey Abrams, whom I've known for years, um, uh, you know, Mandela Barnes and Sherry Beasley and, and others. And so there was a little bit of processing that as well. Um, but a lot of hope too. Um, my, my dear and uh, friend, Reverend Senator Warnock, um, seeing, you know, his um, extraordinarily competitive race that I believe will ultimately be successful um, and, um, in, in, in the runoff. Um, and just um, really heartened by how, you know, people who believe in equality, who believe in justice, um, you know, really kind of put their foots down <laughs> while it said enough is enough. And that, you know, that no matter what the prognosticators said, that they were not going to let those predictions um, carry the day. And so anyhow, it was a, definitely a, a set of mixed emotions, but a, a fair amount of hope as well. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit um, from your your lens as someone who has led faith outreach. How did religion factor into those races? But then more broadly, what what do you see? Yeah, well, I will say, um, and Rev, you 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 know have seen this and kind of fought this battle for years. Usually, when that question is asked, the first thing people do is center the role of white conservative evangelicals and Catholics. And so I um, I want to intentionally not start there because for me that wasn't, although that, you know, that's an interesting storyline and, and an important one. Um, there were some other things at play. I, I was so um, encouraged by the groundbreaking work, and it really is groundbreaking, that um, my friend, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, in partnership with Jim Wallace and others, um, did to deploy poll chaplains around the country. Um, yes, we had know. we had Barbara Williams Skinner on this show 2 weeks ago to talk about that very work and Wonderful. That's a, that's a really important point because the violence and the intimidation yeah. that was threatened really I think I due to that kind of work there was a way it was just like neutralized. It, it we're really not going to do that. And, and you know, what they did, both in the places where those chaplains were, but also even where they weren't, just the the fact that 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 message was out there, it created a contrast between the spirit of peace and of democracy and of reason that they were seeking to cultivate around our elections, and the insanity that some others were seeking to bring to 
you know, polling locations and Dropbox locations and so forth. And it, and it, and it made, I think it made people realize it made the electric re electorate realize that that they're the, the the pathway that involves peace and reason and democracy is the better pathway right and so i i think i think um i'm i believe that they are just beginning and that they had a tremendous impact and that you know efforts like that were deeply deeply meaningful um i also um, I, I think, you know, in black churches around the country through civic organizations, civil rights organizations and um, in mainline Protestant spaces and more people mobilized and they, they mobilized um, for voting rights. They mobilized to um, protect um, women's health care. Um, they mobilized um, uh, for, you know, reasonable approaches to um, to poverty alleviation um, and criminal justice that take into account the very real concerns people have about things like crime, but also the desire to have a nuanced, balanced approach. You know, uh, the, and then and young people, including many young people of faith, stood stood up and and they went to the polls motivated by their own values um, and said that and and they let those values be very clear in terms of the candidates that they selected. And so that's what won. I think a, a progressive vision of faith and values won, right? Um, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that's just such an important. Like that there were, it, it was, it was very interesting, even in red states, minimum wage pa passed, exactly. like some really like, like just common sense bread and butter, you know, actually, and you wrote, you wrote something on Twitter that I want to read because I think that more people should hear it. There are major exceptions to this, but candidates who are perceived as reasonable and solution oriented generally win more than candidates who are perceived as ideologues. The party that figures this out better will do better overall. And I think that what we did see is that people were just not up for it this time. Yeah. You know, they're tired of it. I mean, notable exceptions. We, we, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Notable exceptions. But I, I also want to lift up the campaign of Josh Shapiro mm -hmm. in, yes. um, in, in Pennsylvania, who was, who was really working against the most explicit um, Christian nationalism, um, you know, uh, candidate who really was making that an issue and even making the Jewish faith of his competitor an issue. And people were like, no, thank you. No, exactly. thank you. We're, you are, we're not going to do that here. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, th this, it, it was, um, I think a response to the anti-Semitism we've seen, um, in recent months, um, in response to, to that candidate who, you know, and sort of, um, implicit implied ways um, so, sought to um, sort of filter anti-Semitism into that conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, that 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 sentiment carried it. And you know what? After two years of a pandemic, although we're not fully on the other side of it yet, after all that we've been through, you know, inflation and, and, and more, folks were just not willing, you know, to play the games anymore. They wanted serious yeah. people elected, right? Not the, oh my God. you know, um, you know, extremists who were who are denying, you know, the results of election and so forth. They want they want serious. Now, I will say even for progressives that that there's a requirement and a um a desire for seriousness as well. Like, you know, let's 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 not play games on the left either, right? And and um and feel like we're just sort of preaching to the choir rather than implementing solutions that are helping people's lives, like That's minimum right. wage, like healthcare coverage, like um, you know, advancing voting rights and fixing the Voting Rights Act and so forth. That's what people want. They don't want games anymore. They want actual solutions.
the role of religion, I think, is going to come flaring up in the the battle between uh, Herschel Walker and uh, yes. Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock. Um, and I'm just, you know, first of all, let, let me let me step back and just say. You have had to, in your career, you're aware of the Johnson Amendment. You've you've had to like coach people on what what does that mean, why why we have that on the books, yeah. and how to go forward. Can you can you? I have no idea how the Johnson Amendment is going to be used and abused in this um, because there's but but tell me a little bit how you see the Johnson Amendment in this moment in American politics. Yeah, I mean, largely and unfortunately, in some states completely ignored right and i mean that's, right. that's the right that is um that that's the just so back, back up can you just explain what the johnson amendment is because you had to you had to navigate that as a faith outreach uh for uh president obama sure it's a provision in the tax code that i think since 1954 has prohibited 501c3 organizations from endorsing a political candidate right and and most um houses of worship are um 501c3s and so um as a as a um is a formal matter while an individual faith leader can express her or his preferences um, th that person cannot do so on behalf of their institution of their organization um, because they get the benefits of tax-free status um, and so in exchange for those benefits one of the things that they um, have to agree to is that they're not going to be explicitly sort of political or, or partisan um, now that line is being sort of um, erased around the country and has been for years that this is not a new phenomena. Um, and I think one of the challenges is no one, even among sort of progressive departments of justice and so forth, no one, no one wants to necessarily be the one um, prosecuting a, you know, a pastor, right, or, or a church for, um, or, uh, for, um, you know, any, any violations of, of, um, of the Johnson Amendment. And so it's 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 the sort of thing where houses of worship in the past have largely kind of self-policed themselves and they try to be reasonable yeah. and so forth. And now that's just kind of fading away. The the situation in Georgia though is so you know kind of galling because of the dramatic contrast between the these two people. And listen, you know, let he was without sin cast the first stone. This is not about um sort of my like a personal critique of Herschel Walker's um, behavior, past, and so forth. We, um, but it's issue after issue, day after day, we keep finding something that you know goes directly against his public statements related to his faith and values, and and the declared positions of evangelical leaders in that state, and they're willing to just look past it and look past it and look past it. You know, it's, it's on the one hand, you don't want to condemn someone um, be, because of their past. On the other hand, you know, a tree by the fruit it bears and this fruit is dropping all over the place, man. And, you know, yeah. and so, I mean, it's very, it's very Trumpian in that way. Yeah. It really like is. no one can look at Donald Trump and say, well, there's a there's an honest Christian man. I mean, like you can't really say that, but you can say he's a he's a vehicle for power. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I'm sorry to break it down that way, but you know, but that, you know, that is, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the, you know, frankly, the white evangelical church, 90% of them went for Walker. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, you know, because they view him as a vehicle 
for what they want to accomplish. That's exactly and, right. Um, and and they are they're, they they would be the first to cast the first stone if they didn't think he was the vehicle. Yeah. No, no, um, and so right. so it's very it's very hard to watch. And then you have a, a you know a gentleman that both of us know um, and have watched and the you know who is such a deep thinker, a, a, a nuance and a, and a committed Christian mm-hmm. who has worked his whole life trying to proclaim it. I'm not in, I'm, I'm, I am a supporter of him. I'm not endorsing him on behalf of anything, but I just think he's an am, amazing man. And you have these two figures who are both representing actually almost an archetype of the way faith is operating in our country. Yeah, it's so true. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a there's a there's the the figure who's representing a seriousness about his faith, a, a level of consistency. I mean, this is the pulpit of Dr. King for I mean, for goodness sake, this is um, and um, and then someone who um, it's it almost feels like he's toying with religion, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like it's well, a it, of it's a interesting. I saw I saw on Twitter like this thing. A lot of white evangelicals like to talk about how they would have supported a pastor from Ebenezer Church who was working to change the country on issues. They like to talk about that, and they're supporting Walker. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and Paul, you'll know this so well. They like to talk about that, but you know, Dr. King for many years, particularly after his speech against the war in Vietnam from the um, uh, for, uh, from um, from New York. Um, he was the most hated man in America and condemned yeah, by, yeah. by, by, you know, by everyone, including quite frankly, not just conservatives, but mainstream progressive figures. Sure. Well. Like he's sure, taken it too far sure. for even them. And yeah. So, yeah. So, well, know, I, I, even, even, I would say even some black church, I mean, they're, that's they're right. like yeah. Dr. I remember Dr. Lewis saying uh, in an interview that I did with him, he said, if everybody who was, ac- who, who says now they were part of the civil rights movement was actually part of the civil rights movement, yeah. it would have been accomplished very much more quickly. Oh, and but, so Tell, let, let's let's just just tell me like if you were wanting to um help you know uh, help help people understand like how to how to position these because this is going to be like frankly in, in up until it happens it's going to be such a conversation topic how would you position if you were in charge of of the conversation the messaging around faith how would you position yeah. those two candidates well, if I if I was, you know, um, I don't I don't know the how I would necessarily position Herschel Walker. I don't, I can't even like wrap my mind around that. But in terms of um, Reverend Senator Warnock, what I would say is I would put working families first and really yes. articulate how my agenda is going to support people who every day are coming home and they're trying to figure this thing out. They're trying to figure out how to make childcare work for their kids when, you know, the cost of daycare is exploding. They're trying to figure out that grocery budget when, you know, everything seems to be more expensive and that gas budget. They're trying to figure out um, how to get their kids um, not only through um, elementary, middle, and high school, but it, um, how to get them to pay for college or trade schools um, when those ex- expenses are increasing as well. And I would talk about the different places across that that picture of life where I want to be helpful, where I want I think the government yeah. can be helpful. Yeah. I think you know we can we can rally around them and and support. And then on some of the hot button issues, I would talk, uh, you know, I would talk like a, a like a human being. You know, for example, you know on on an issue like a, abortion, I think there's a lot of people, even conservatives, who um, who believe that there's a level of um, 
sanctity and just a, a deep moral dimension to the question of abortion, but they also have have some discomfort with um, a um, a legislator making these decisions for women, rather than you know uh, women and their their um, their partners and um, their doctors and so forth. And I would bring a level of nuance to that, right? That you know, yes, I um, support. Um, a woman's right to choose. But I also believe that um, we should surround um, families with as much care and support as possible so that, you know, that 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 choice is made more easy um, if 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 they feel like they um, have the support that they need uh, for children to thrive. And so I think I think what a lot of um, independent voters in the state of Georgia and other places want is just a little bit of permission to uh, to support a progressive candidate. And by yeah, by by creating space for them, I think he can go a long way, um, yeah. particularly given who the candidate is on the other side. Talk to me a little bit about gauge and what gauge can mean for the broader public. Like, yeah. what, is it, what does it mean to be so the website, smart gauge. about cultural? Gauge.ai, and, and it's the first market research platform that connects brands and organizations and foundations to thought leaders in communities. Um, we realized that a lot of folks were launching big new initiatives, whether it's a, a big nonprofit campaign or a big new product or what have you. And they never spoke with people who understood the communities that they're trying to reach really well. They never spoke with top leaders in the LGBTQ plus community or um, top Hispanic and Latino leaders or you know voices in the African-American community before they launched this big thing out there. And so we've convened now 13,000 thought leaders and experts and civil rights leaders and civic voices and faith leaders and others. And we help people do research with them before they launch stuff out into the world. And so, you know, we're the largest provider of insights for CBS Health now and Snapchat, and we're working with um, different foundations and organizations, helping them understand what community voices think before going out into the world. So that's what we do. Because a lot of times there are missteps. That's right. Missteps That's is a nice way to put it. That's right. Like incredibly dumb things done. Or is stepping another way in to put it, it is another way to say it. Stepping <laughs> in it is a better way to put it. Okay, so 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 I assume that Elon Musk has uh, reached out to you. Oh my goodness, um, he has not. But I I I have to pray about Paul the the mix of horror and glee of sort of watching all of this unfold on Twitter right now that I'm, that I'm all feeling, of us. I don't know. <laughs> all of it's us. Like, all it, of it's us. like you have a live stream on the Titanic and you're just kind of like, you know, watching yeah. thing go down. Well, you know, the, the Titanic, I felt like, um, you know, I, I'm just really, it's very curious to me. And I think this is such a lesson for, um, for us about, um, about tech companies like we are at the beginning yeah. of tech. Yeah. These companies we they seemed like oh my god, Facebook, it's like oh, you know, it's it, as if it's going to be here forever. Twitter, oh, it's like, you know, in 200 years people are going to be like still in Twitter. No, these things, you know, they come and what and we're go. seeing that's here. So true. Paul, that's a, that's how, a radical point. I mean that you know, and you're, we are you're so, Twitter is 12 years old. Yeah. If you think about the start of the car industry, all of the major players are gone. Yeah. You know, that we're the, we're, we're the ones that were going to make the car industry. Now it, there's new players and Tesla is one of them, yeah. but Tesla's going to go. And, and here we, we're going to go back to, you know, with, with Twitter. I yeah. can't believe it. I can't believe how fast this is happening. And frankly, how, how bad he is at this. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, and, 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 and,
I we ha- I have friends that love their Tesla. He's shooting some rockets into space. It's okay to be pretty good at cars and rockets and not to be good at social media. But I, I, apparently, okay, right? So. You know, I'm not good at uh, everything. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, apparently so. Um, but but you know what? I do want to say like it is. It's sad for me because I love I following love Twitter people too. on Twitter. I I think it's been like it's been such an eye opener. I learn things every day. If you follow, if you follow the right people, if you figure out how to make it work for you rather than work against you, I've learned so much, and I have I and and it's been so helpful for me to be in communication with people that I will I will lament. It's you know it's impending demise. Maybe we're speaking too soon, Reverend. It is. Always a pleasure to be talking with you. Always learn so much. We need to take another break, but there's lots more still ahead on this week's show. Up next, Cheryl Conti, CEO of the Impact Seat Foundation. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of State of Belief anytime on our website. You'll also find an archive of past shows, all at stateofbelief.com. You're listening to State of Belief Radio, religion and radio done differently. State of Belief Radio, twice every weekend on the Progressive Voices Network. Hey, it's Stephanie Miller. Here's what we're talking about. Security cameras installed at uh, Nancy Pelosi's home in San Francisco captured the break-in before her husband was attacked. But U.S. Capitol Police officers were not actively monitoring them at the time. Holy cow. From the Washington Post. As House Speaker facing a near-constant target of conservative ire, Pelosi uh, receives more violent death threats than any other member of Congress. But the total uh, numbers against lawmakers have surged more than tenfold in the years since Trump was elected. This is Trump. It's all Trump. It's you can see the statistics. It is tenfold. Look at this crap we just played. It's him. Yeah. He's the main conspiracy theorist and the main inciter of violence. Always. Mm-hmm. The Capitol Police monitor about eighteen hundred cameras each day, and I I assume, you know, because it's obviously they're they're uh, because there's so many threats. Their top priority is as members of Congress. So I'm sure families they aren't. Yeah. Monitoring as closely, and you know, obviously with the speaker not being there, but it, it's. But that, you know, obviously, because she's such a target, it feels like they should have been monitoring. Yeah, oh, and this is, yes, this gets worse, doesn't it? Uh, Accused Pelosi attacker had alleged plans to target other politicians. He told police he was on a suicide mission and had plans to target other California and federal politicians. I love how the whole, um, oh, this wasn't political party balloon inflated on them. Right. Okay, do we have to? I might well, let's get this out of the way. More Cheeto Lady. It's crazy, but it, it, the window was broken in, and it was strange that the cops were the, you know, standing there practically from oh my God. from the moment it all took place. Oh my God! Oh my Once again, God. the window was not broken from the inside. Oh my God! If whatever's being said, people are saying, people are saying, some some people are saying, it even happens. What's being said? Let me get all my vomiting out of the way early. Find the Stephanie Miller Show every Monday through Friday at 9 to noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific, right here on Progressive Voices. 911, what's your emergency? America's healthcare system is broken and people are dying. Welcome to Code WAC, where we shine a light on America's callous healthcare system, how it hurts us, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar, this time on Code WAC. What are some of the possible dangers and pitfalls of Medicare Advantage plans? 
and how do they respond to patients' needs differently compared to traditional Medicare? To find out, we spoke to Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician and a national board member of Physicians for a National Health Program. So when Medicare pays your claims, as it does in original or traditional Medicare parts A and B, that's their only job is to pay your claims. They don't get in the way. They're not, uh, not trying to make money off of you. You have Medicare as your health insurance. You go to the doctor or hospital that you want and Medicare pays your claims. But if you have opted into Medicare Advantage, Medicare itself is no longer paying your claims at all. Instead, Medicare is paying an insurance company to pay your claims. And the insurance company, as we all learned uh, from having employer-based insurance and other things, is, is really not out to just pay your claims. They're out to make money off, off of this. And so the more often they can avoid paying your claims or deny paying your claims or delay paying your claims or make it complicated for anybody to get a claim paid, the more they can do that, the more money they can make. So they're no longer really focused on you. They're now focused on their own profits. And that's completely different than having the government just pay your claims, than having Medicare pay your claims. The full Code Wax story on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. Catch all our episodes by subscribing to Code Wax wherever you find your podcast. This podcast is powered by Heal California, a nonprofit that uplifts the voices of those fighting for health care reform around the country. Until next time. Stay healthy. Hey, it's Stephanie Miller. Here's what we're talking about. Chaos agent Steve Bannon told Bolsonaro not to concede, and you said I'll always take delight in the fact that no matter what he says or does, Bannon will wake up every morning to the reflection of his bloated corpse pulled from a river face. True. I realized he looked like every movie like that. We got to take delight in something, and the fact that Steve Bannon has that. Love you. Find The Stephanie Miller Show every Monday through Friday at 9 to noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific, right here on Progressive Voices. You're listening to State of Belief Radio on the Progressive Voices Network. Welcome back to State of Belief Radio. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Paul Rauschenbusch. The Impact Seat Foundation is making very real changes in this country and beyond by focusing on values in business. Raising up women, especially women of color, in innovative and sustainable ways, CEO Cheryl Conte has a particular keen sense of what works in this country and what doesn't. Cheryl, welcome to State of Belief Radio. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Always, always a fun time. Always, always. Uh, So listen, tell me... uh, Give me your like kind of Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, however you do elections. What what was your what was your kind of vibe? How were you processing it? What did you think? I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I mean, I, I one shouldn't be surprised that the nation is turning a corner. I mean, I, I think we all hoped that at some point people would wake up and sort of smell the coffee and think, you know what, this sounds like bull crap. Like I'm not here for any of this. <laughs> like this is, I no, thank you. Uh, so, you know, the fact that so many election deniers went down, you know, the people that message did not, does not no longer really resonates. And deep down people do understand, or most, uh, at least a slender majority of people understand that this is not okay. 
you know, the fact that, um, you know, a lot of this uh, critical race theory, you know, some of the people who were running very, very hard on that, like those people were not super successful. You know, the fact that, um, you know, reproductive rights, you know, were, I mean, people spoke out very, very clearly. It was a sweep. It was absolutely a sweep and in red and blue states. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that there's, you know, I think that if there was one message, Democrats are under a lot of criticism for, you know, their lack of a clear, compelling, coherent message. And I do think that if they had one, you know, just something that was just simple, you know, like we don't have a version of build the wall or drain the swamp, right? Like we need that. That's, you know, people can only apparently, you know, people are busy. They're overwhelmed. They need like a very simple, clear message, hope and change, dignity, freedom and justice Mm -hmm. for all. Like these are messages that would probably resonate a chicken in every pot. Right. Like so we don't we don't have that. (laughs) We don't have that. However, I do think that the Biden and other Democrats really spoke out very consistently on the topic of our democracy itself is at threat. And I do think that that message does seem to have have gotten through to people. Yeah. And they were under such attack for that. Even the day of, it was like, this was so stupid. This was so stupid. I mean, nothing like eating your own, you know, but, but anyway, but I think that that, that was the one clear message that I heard, like, let's not vote for crazy, it, you know, would be another. <laughs> what if, what if we didn't vote for crazy? Like, think about it. You know, that's just an idea. Just putting that out there for everybody. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that that's right. I, I'm, I'm curious if there were particular races that you were watching that you were like, okay, you know, this is, this is a very good sign for me. I, I honestly think that the abortion, um, sweep in places like Montana and in, uh, in Kentucky, you know, it was just very clear. We're not doing this. We're not going to do this. You know, sorry, this is not what we want. This was an overstep from the Supreme Court. And and if you think that about that, you're going to think that about a lot of other personal issues where people should have the right to make decisions about their own bodies and their own lives. Religious freedom is about making decisions about your own lives. Uh, and, and, and what we saw is that was under attack and people decided no. We want to we we want to give people the freedom to make choices about their own lives. Absolutely, and I think again, people smelling the tea. Okay, like you know, the the next stage. You know, there are a group of conservatives who've been very very clear that you know this is the first step to same sex marriage to contraception itself. Like, contraception. yeah, I mean, like contraception. Not, Come on we now, we're not here for any of that. And you know, uh, you know, so with my work at the Impact Seat Foundation, you know, we're all about creating a world in which women, especially women of color, um, you know, can be successful business leaders. And I think one of the things that we have been trying to say is, you know, it when you know when you have a child how many children you have, right? Like the space between them, uh, you know, this directly impacts economic outcomes for families, not just women, for families. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's really, I think that there are a lot of people who, who fundamentally understand that, that it's not just about yeah. whether or not you're having a baby. I mean, that's important, but it's also about, right, your freedom to, direct your life. I mean, you know, our country was founded on, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And something like choice 
absolutely, you know, bumps up against that. Fits right into that. And also like, let's have a little consistency. If you really want people to have babies, provide maternity Thank leave. You. Provide health care for women. Why does why does why did Texas refuse to release maternity mortality rates before the election? Hmm? Like, you know, so another guest that we've had, and we 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 had a, a guest who has like brought a suit against that. Like there are we have to in a broad way, like what is the consistent ethic that we can put so that women have the right to, uh, women, whoever's having a child has the right to make choices about their life. So I just think that's really important. And, you know, when, as long as we're on the topic of abortion, I think that, you know, you pointed out there was a Slate article that really talked about abortion and religion. And people don't know. But actually, some of the earliest activists on providing abortion before Roe v. Wade were actually religious people who saw this as an issue for 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 um, for people for con- their constituents and and mobilized you know these these networks which are now coming back. And so I, I'm curious what you've been hearing, what you've been seeing about you know, the, how religion is playing into this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do recommend that Slate article for folks. It's called uh, The Religious Left Has Found Its Mission. Um, and it's all about uh, really the return of of uh, the religious left, um, you know, to this topic where they really were leading, you know, so there was a group um, that was founded in the 60s called the Clergy Consultation Service. Um, they were founded right. before um, Roe v. Wade and, you know, it, it, thousands of, uh, you know, they helped, you know, h- half a million patients, um, you know, it, between 1967 and 1973, you know, to uh, to get abortions, you know, when they needed it. Um, so, you know, that's now, that organization is now called uh, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. But, you know, we see all over the country you know, people, you know, I think Jews are standing up and saying, hey, what about our religious right. principles? You have yeah, Muslims right. also coming forward, right. Satanists, okay, 100%. like they can, you know, like yeah. that's religion. Yeah. So, you know, I do think yeah. that, you know, the majority of people are coming forward and saying, hey, we want, we envision a very different America, you know, but right. we also saw, you know, so I wear a lot of different hats, as you know, Paul. So, yes. you know, I'm also the, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm also the chair and founder over at Do Big Things, uh, which is all about providing yes. uh, the new narrative and new tech uh, for a new world that we're living in for progressive causes and candidates. And we worked extensively with FaithWorks in Georgia, um, which is like a thousand, uh, you know, religious leaders uh, came together in Georgia, you know, they reach hundreds of thousands of parishioners saying, look, you know, our, our very fundamental freedoms, you know, are at stake here, including voting rights. And so, you know, we work with them on, you know, social media content, you know, cause they're not, you know, they're not internet people, they're pastors. Right. So, you know, right. our job right. was to really take their messages, uh, you know, to the people, you know, whether social media content, yeah. ads, you know, just helping to educate, particularly black men, you know, on voting rights. Uh, so very, very proud of that work. And and hopefully we'll yeah. be, you know, working with them on the on the recount. But Reverend Warnock, Reverend well, Warnock, yeah. you know, is sort of at the head of right. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, the yeah, spear yeah, tip yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, religious yeah. left right now in Congress. Talk to me a little bit about um just, you know, I, I, I am, it is, it's, 
a little well so, so there's a half full half empty narrative that i've seen both of them around how well women of color did in north carolina for instance uh in in florida I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, You know, two steps forward, two steps back. Look, you know, we have the highest ratio of women in the United States Congress ever in American history. So, Mm. you know, like things Mm. are changing, you know, and, and, you know, when you look across state houses, you know, women are stepping forward. Um, And there are, you know, a lot of organizations that are are helping and, and training women. You know what? You probably know the statistic, but, you know, listeners might not. Uh, So on average, it takes like, one to three asks for a man to, you know, like people to say, hey, you should run for office. Like it only takes a few, you know, to get a man to, you know, the confidence to be like, yeah, why not? I'll run for office. It takes seven to 10 requests for a, for a woman to have the confidence to step forward, right? So, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of energy around, you know, creating that network you know, of support for women to say, you can do this and we're going to help you. So, you know, one of, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Aaron Velarde, you probably know Aaron, um, founder of Vote Run Lead, you know, has, I mean, you know, the the list of women they have trained and who have uh, gone on, you know, to win is really inspiring. And I, you know, suggest you check out Vote Run Lead, but, you know, there's, there's a real movement out there. And, you know, even though, yeah. right, you know, it's, it's still a mixed bag. Again, I do believe that if Democrats had a a stronger, clearer, more compelling message, you know, that just sort of went right to the heart of where Americans are, you know, they would have swept the board. I mean, like, you know, the you know uh-huh. what Republicans want, what conservatives want, you know, honestly, is not what most like their policy slate is not what people want. When you actually put progressive. Uh, when you put progressive issues in front of people without mentioning party, people want the progressive agenda. A hundred percent. I mean, like the numbers are pretty When you clear. think about like, you know, um, you know, minimum wage passed, I think in North Dakota or something like that, you know, like, you know, so these policies that really are, are actually considered progressive issues, but they're, they're, they're actually just issues that help people survive right now. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, but, but they're not, you know, I, I think it, it, it speaks to your point. One of the things that I'm, um, I just think, I, I just want to sit with that for a second. Like men are like, oh yeah, why not? Why not me? And, and it really is like, this is social conditioning. It's also historical. I mean, I, we have a, <laughs> we have a, a history of the president's um, a placemat for our dinner, and you go, white man, white man, white man, white man, one black man, white man. Like what? Is, what is like? And my and you know I have you know to be frank I have two white sons and they're kind of looking at it, go oh okay, uh, but he actually I remember my son saying where. Where's everybody else, you know, because he's go, he goes to a very diverse school and he just is like kind of mystified by like, who are these people? So I, hopefully the next generation sees this differently. But I think being aware of the reality and being intentional about meeting is exactly what, you know, what your your friend Aaron is is about. And that is that is, you know, really amazing. Where you see us going forward now, no matter what happens, we're going to have to get serious about building networks, coming up with messaging that works, and moving forward in order to create, in order to protect our democracy, and in order to protect religious freedom for all. 
I think that there are a lot of people, you know, for whom voting, you know, either Republican or Democrat is, you know, practically a religion. Right. And so, you know, uh-huh. it's its own right. religion almost. And, you know, to, to even as their party, you know, really goes places that I think most Americans, even conservative Americans, again, by the numbers, by the polls, don't want, you know, there's still that sense of loyalty. Right. And that sense of, well, you know, they speak the language that I'm familiar with even though I don't like the thing that they're suggesting that we're going to do. So like, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. You know, look, you know, we, there are many Americans who lived through the flip, right. Of, you know, Republicans used to be the left-leaning party and Democrats used to be the right-leaning party. And that wasn't long ago. I mean, that flip happened in the sixties. So, you know, I do think we're in a, 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 a sense of flux where people really are having to re-examine, you know, their morality and where their morality calls them, you know, and their ethics and their compassion, you know, you know, do I still, you know, this, this party speaks the language of compassion, but is actually enacting cruel things. Am I still mm. on board for that? Disinformation, misinformation, intentional intentionally wielded in order to stoke fear, in order to stoke distrust. And, you know, this is something that you're in the center of this this conversation about how do we leverage technology, especially technology, in order to counteract that with a better message, with a more inclusive message, with a welcoming message, and to say, you know, don't trust this message because that's, you know, we're being presented with a zero sum game. Too many um, immigrants, too many uh, people of you know different skin pigmentation, different genders are coming to take our country. That's the fear factor out there. Instead of saying, "You're welcome too. No one is being kicked out here. This is a this is an inclusive vision." And so, how do we how do we specifically leverage technology? Uh, you know, I think one way in which we can leverage technology is, look, you know, there are there's a new grassroots out there, right? It's called influencers and creators. And, you know, I do mm. think that, you know, the conservatives have actually been pretty good at getting out there and, you know, tapping into that, particularly in um, faith communities. You know, they understand, you know, that uh, pastors, you know, and reverends, you know, that religious people are online, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, the left has been remiss in understanding, you know, that, you know, people don't trust organizations right now. They don't trust governments. They do trust the people in their lives, you know, whether directly, you know, the the, the pastor who leads their, their local church or, you know, someone that they're looking to, you know, um, you know, who gives them inspiration. There are actually so many, you know, faith-based influencers online. And yet, you know, what's the relationship that, you know, organizations have, you know, with that? FaithWorks mm. is a great example mm. of those people, you know, really thinking about it and coming together. You know, but we need more of that. We really do need people of faith, you know, who can speak in language that, you know, brings, you know, reaches people in their heart, not just their minds, but in their hearts, right? And in their souls. Like, you know, that, like that uh, soul level speech, yeah. 
is is really what's going to reach people in terms of creating policies that actually benefit human beings. So a great example would be student loans. You know, this is a place where I think that, you know, people of faith could step forward and say, look, you know, that whole, you know, uh, you know, it's easier for, you know, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, you know, than a rich man to go to heaven. You know, we just spent billions of dollars in the PPP loans, right? I mean, my business received a PPP loan. Thank God. I mean, you know, we needed it. But, but you know, why is yeah. it okay to give, you know, millions of dollars, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, billions of dollars to businesses, you know, to, to bail them out and give them a lift during a tough time and not our future, our students, our children, right? Who are, who are preparing for a different tomorrow. Why would you, why would one be okay and the other be some sort of violation of like a fundamental tenant, which is what they're trying to say, right? That the, that the president but, apparently has the right to help, you know, businesses, but not students, not our future. That's insane. So, you know, I think that yeah. that's a place where, you know, I really do think that, you know, pastors, reverends, people of faith, must step forward and say, what are we thinking? Like, why wouldn't we want to, you know, help, you know, our, our most vulnerable, you know, some of our most vulnerable members of society. And that's just one example. It's, you know, I mean, there's so many examples. Cheryl Conte, you are amazing people. First of all, First stop is to go look, see her website, all the things that Cheryl Conte is doing, CherylConte.com. Impactseat.org is a great place to go, or dobigthings.today. Yeah, these are these are companies that have been created by the wisdom of Cheryl, but also places that anyone can find tools and hopefully work with uh, with Cheryl and her amazing team to do big things and and to change the world. Cheryl Contes, thank you so much for joining me on State of. Thank Belief. you so much for doing this. And with that, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's show. While there were lots of surprises in the midterms this week, one thing that is predictable is that we will keep seeing Christian nationalism show up in both local and national political races in the future. However, it is up to all of us to show up for a vision of our country that is inclusive of people of all faith and no faith and recognize the importance of our ability to make choices about our reproductive health, about who we love and marry, and other issues of religious freedom. Democracy is still at risk, and we have to protect it. Next week, we will be in Washington, D.C. as Interfaith Alliance, showing up for people who are in same-sex marriages as well as interracial marriages, showing up to the Senate that is about to vote on the Respect Marriage Act, and we are rallying religious voices who are overwhelmingly support the right for same-sex marriage and the right to interracial marriage, and we are going to be lobbying senators and we're going to be holding a press conference. I will also have the honor of moderating a panel on the Hill that is supporting those who experience violence in the aftermath of 9-11 only because they were associated with being Muslims. This includes Hindus, Sikhs, and Muslims, nine of whom died in the aftermath of 9-11. We are holding a panel and we are urging our Congress to make a resolution saying that is not the American way. 
These are just two examples of the way that Interfaith Alliance is showing up right now, showing up for people from all faith traditions and no faith traditions, showing up for the freedom to do with our lives how we feel called to live and love. And so I encourage you to join us at interfaithalliance.org to find out more. The conversations you heard today are the reason that State of Belief is on the air. I hope you'll consider helping us to amplify these voices by making a financial contribution to keep this program going strong. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. You can be part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing the program with friends and family. Let's get more people listening and more people taking part in these conversations both on and off the air. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the weekly State of Belief podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your life. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week for more inspiring conversations as we develop creative and powerful ways to move forward in this country together. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch, and that's State of Belief. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down.